Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. were swanky hot shots. Podcast, you say. That adds up. Good morning, good day, good afternoon, good evening, good night, or good morrow, dear Don Quixotes. What? Oh, is it... Is it just Quixotes? Why, in the manuscript, Cervantes invariably wrote Don before Quixote. The boy just says Quixotes, so it sounds like, what, cuties. And that works. Of course it does. I suppose it flows. Such is the way the imbecilic ride headfirst down the rivers of success. Blindly, with a meteoric god-forsaken yet providential flow. Like Geralt in the folklore department. <sighs> but, forsooth, moving on, as the Dutch said, My name is Professor R.B. Olmati. You might be wondering, Quixotes, why I'm wasting good vinyl introducing this episode of delicious word Sandwich. Well, first, let us begin with a succinct history lesson. Not folklore, Gerald, but real history. Throughout all of time, there has always been an old Matty. For example, there was the controversial Greek warrior Olus Matthias, who, during the taking of Troy, infamously advised Achilles, a little too loudly, to protect the heels, his one and only weakness, thereafter inviting Paris to make the fateful shot. There was the Viking, old Matty Deathwish, who aided generations of heroic beasts and dragons against the barbarian Beowulf. And, of course, there was even me, Professor R.B. Olmatty. Now, all of whom may be one and the same, 
or of one legacy. It matters not. The ignoramus old matter you have come to know and love is, as I hope you know as our loyal listener, lost in time. When one looks closely into misprinted history books, one might be able to chart where and when he has been, and perhaps whence he is going. But he is not here, and tragically, it seems, these producers, so-called, have not ensured themselves against time-travelling tomfoolery, and thus have tasked me, Professor R. B. Olmatty, with introducing what we call the frozen delicious word sandwiches. Fresh from the freezer, they tell me, preserved from a time where Olmatty wasn't locked in interdimensional single combat with an immortal demon bear. Ugh, it's Beowulf all over again. Now you look at me, producer. Look into the abyss of my eyes. I expect my full payment in zupa-dupas after this. Let me be clear about that. Because there'll be the new currency when the sun soon explodes is why. You shall see. Let us get down to business, as the gold said. With no historical explanation as to how or when, in his own bizarre timeline, the adventurer, old Matty, calmed down for a goddamn minute and miraculously had a wonderful guest on his hit show, Delicious Word Sandwich. The honoured guest is Jennifer Gordon, a professional ballroom dancer by day, and a curly-haired neurotic writer by night. She is an actor, a traveller, a photographer, a lover of horror, and a proud dog mum. With their powers combined, they discussed Jennifer Gordon's debut novel, Beautiful, Frightening, and Silent, now available on Amazon and Kindle Unlimited. Then, Jennifer and old Matty masterfully turned this wonderful, poignant, and gripping book into a delicious word sandwich. So, without further ado, let us bring this groundbreaking event out of the celestial cooler and into our warm, wondrous, worldly oven. You don't like my improvisation? Leave it in, or that will cost you more. Zupa. Dupas, here before you, Quixotes, is the beautiful, frightening, and silent sandwich. An interview with Jennifer Gordon. And welcome to a very special episode of Delicious Word Sandwich with old Maddie's first guest. Hello, Jennifer, and welcome to Delicious Word Sandwich. Well, thank you for having me. Should I? I feel like I should be doing an accent because I'm a very basic American right now. You're the very first guest, so what you do establishes oh. our uh, guest canon for the rest of time. So no pressure. Oh, this is a lot of pressure. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's no pressure. Have you heard any previous installments of Delicious Word Sandwich? I have not, uh, but I did read 
uh, you sent out a really wonderful thing, like a like a guest prompt mm-hmm. thing of what I, I would need to talk about, which is, you know, my artistic work as if it were a sandwich. And uh, I basically started daydreaming about sandwiches right after that. <laughs> so I won't lie. I read the whole thing, but I mainly thought of grilled cheese sandwiches. That's the spirit. <laughs> I mean, if that's where you lean, like um, most of the sandwiches from previous installments, uh, they're just steak sandwiches because I do not know how to cook. Oh, uh, well, neither, neither do I. And I'm also a vegetarian. So for me, a sandwich is legitimately bread and cheese mm-hmm. and maybe a tomato, which I pick out and that's, just lay on the side. That's very fun. <laughs> <laughs> it's whimsical. Yeah. Uh, one of the fa- my favorite sandwiches that I designed uh, had a big uh, grilled mushroom because it was Jules Verne's oh. Journey to the Center of the Earth. Yes. It was all about the subterranean kind of fauna. Oh my gosh. Well, now I'm really rethinking my book as a sandwich because there is a lot of death. Yeah. I feel like rotted leaves are not something to put into a sandwich, is there? Well, it depends. Wilted the... lettuce? Maybe, if the story demands it. Like <laughs> a really corrupted, a really like a story about moral corruption could have good wilted lettuce. Oh, that sounds like Dickens. Yeah, Dickens or Heart of Darkness, perhaps. Oh my gosh, yes. Yes. <laughs> so, Miss Jennifer Gordon, you're the first guest mad enough to come onto Delicious Word Sandwich. So we're going to do a quick getting to know you segment. Are you ready? Perfect. Wonderful. I am ready. So, getting started, uh, my Kiotis know that I am a big fan of Hemingway. Uh, who is your favorite author? Uh, My favorite author is Shirley Jackson, and she is best known for writing The Haunting of Hill House, Mm -hmm. and We Have Always Lived in the Castle, and she Mm -hmm. is a wonderful writer of gothic fiction. She also suffered from terrible agoraphobia for a lot of her life, and I think we can all relate to that, at least where I live right now, because we're all in a a lockdown, where we we don't want to go outside. Uh, so Shirley Jackson is absolutely my favorite. She she balances all of her works right on that fine line between madness and haunting. And is it a ghost? Is it schizophrenia? Who knows? Is it just human nature? It, is it human nature? Is it alcohol poisoning? We don't know. <laughs> but I have a, a quote from her tattooed on my body, so she will always be my favorite author. Oh, that's fantastic. I've always <laughs> thought that... um. It's going to be like my badge of honor when, when I am published. When? But there's this, imi- there's this like silhouetted image of um, Hemingway's old man and the s- old man of the sea fighting the marlin. And I want that. You like, are giving a- me chills. <laughs> it would be so cool. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, and it will be cool. Don't say it, it. Like it would be so cool. It will be cool. It will, it will happen. Uh, that's the can do attitude. <laughs> now, correct me if I'm wrong, but did Shirley Jackson write the lottery, uh, the short story? Uh, she definitely did. Yes, I, that's like my favorite short story. <laughs> Is it really? Yeah. She wrote a lot of good, um, you know, people would consider them like Victorian ghost stories. Mm. She writes a very like slow burning, psychological, uh, still kind of mannered way of haunting and madness. Yeah, the restrained way in which she unfolds kind of the horror 
Yes. It, it gives me chills. Like to, to this day, when people say, what's the scariest thing you've ever read? And I'll say it's the haunting of Hill House. And it was one specific scene, which I don't want to spoil for anybody, but it is tattooed on my body. Oh, that's, that's fantastic. <laughs> it was like one line. And when I read it, I got chills and put the book down and said, this is what I want to do with my life. It's like one of those lines that reminds you, it's like, this is why I write, to find this is these why I little write. lines. <laughs> yeah, and it, it's, such a, it's such a simple line. Again, mm -hmm. I don't want to say it because I don't want to spoil Haunting of Hill House for anybody, but it, it, it shook me to my core. Oh. And, and I thought to myself when I read that a billion years ago, and when I reread it over and over again, if I could write one line that made people say, I want to get that tattooed on my body. <laughs> I'm good. That, that's it's like, check me out. I'm done. Done. <laughs> done. So what would be your reaction if someone came up to you with a line of yours tattooed on their body? And it's like, yo, check this out. You're my favorite. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, honestly, I would love it, but I might be scared depending on who it is. Like if it was my mom that came up to me and said, look, I got your words tattooed on my body. That would freak me out. What have you done? <laughs> or, if <it> was, <laughs> or if it was somebody that like, I know secretly hated me, mm. but if it was a true fan, I, w I would love that. I would love it. Yeah. I as long as I didn't come to my house and say it, if they maybe like sent me a picture on Facebook. Or a nice typewritten letter. A nice typewritten letter to a P.O. box, oh, but not on my doorstep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not hand-delivered. Right, so <laughs> listeners, I'm all for subtle stalking, but not in my face stalking. That's right. So it's like the stalking that's like a bit of loving effort, but not, you know, fanatical. Right, just that shows that you're interested, mm. you've read the words and appreciated them, maybe bought several copies, but not that you're willing to commit a crime for. That's it. A bad crime for. <laughs> <laughs> Benevolent stalking, Kyotis, that's the ticket. <laughs> so I know. I feel like I might be encouraging bad behavior right now. I find like my favorite stories are always focusing on the outlaws and everything. So that's just kind of second nature to me. <laughs> It, it, you know, so uh, the, the book I wrote, and I'm not trying to like switch back to that, but when I was pitching it to, to publishers, one of the publishers that I didn't end up going with said, none of your characters are likable. And I said, oh, well, they're not supposed to be. No. It's a horror novel. It's a horror novel, and it's about morally ambivalent people. <laughs> I know. It's about people who are really sad, and one of them's a murderer, one of them is dead, and one of them has uh you know survivor's guilt and they said can you make him funnier because then we would publish it and i said no no i don't want to make him funnier i think you've missed the point yeah. <laughs> he's got very few things to be funny about <laughs> i know i'm like oh a dead dead son and dead wife yes oh. hilarious crack no I, I did yeah it cracks everybody up every time mm. So would I be right in going on to our next uh, point uh, in thinking that your favorite book is Haunting of Hill House by Shirley Jackson? Uh, it is my favorite book. It's second favorite of Shirley Jackson's. 
they're, they're tied depending on my mood is we've always lived in the castle, but Haunting of Hill House is, is my dream book. It's, you know, it, it, it's everything. A house is a character. There's people who are maybe mentally ill or maybe, maybe they're psychic. Oh. They, those books when they're you're like they're not just your favorite because you love the story but because it's themes and all the characters just kind of embody you and I yeah. find that I can just see an image from my favorite book and I just like am there and I just feel it yes yeah. so um and I, I always go back to Haunting of Hill House I read it when I was very young and I've read it over and over again and there's something so magical about it it was magical the first time I read it she was the first uh, author, I think, of her day that really uh, borderline talked about mental illness mm. being maybe what's causing a haunting. And and I just love when people make this setting, a house, a, a, a landscape, anything, another character in the book. And I'm sure you understand this because you're a Hemingway fan. Yeah. The old man in the sea does not exist if it wasn't for the sea. Like Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, 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 it is the second half of that a being Mm. like the main character doesn't exist without that so in haunting of hill house eleanor doesn't exist truly until she gets to hill house yeah and then it just all comes together and it's the same with uh hemingway's for whom the bell tolls like the book really oh gosh the book comes to life as soon as you see the bridge this simple bridge that just means so much (laughs) so uh i read For Whom the Bell Tolls when I was in high school. We were allowed to pick any book we wanted, quote unquote, that was about history. And I picked that. And my teacher said, you can't read Hemingway. This is not what we're asking for. And I was like, trust me, you're gonna wanna read my paper. And he was like, fine, just don't watch any of the movies. Don't look it up. And uh, yeah, I loved it. Oh, I find the movies still (laughs) haven't done it justice. No. So even, I mean, my, uh, my favorite book is Haunting of Hill House. There's been a billion movies and they didn't do it justice. There was a TV series that recently came out on Netflix, which I thought was absolutely beautiful, but it wasn't the book. Yeah. And that's fine. It was the universe, but I had a lot of people when they saw the tattoo on my arm say, Oh, you got that because of the Netflix show. Oh, no. <laughs> like, no, I did not get that from the Netflix show. <laughs> throw the book at them. <laughs> I, know. I would, except I've, I've purchased that book so many times and given it to people because yeah. I've said, you have to read this book that I currently only own it on a Kindle right now. I, I, I can't got... even throw it at somebody. Oh, that's how that's how into it you are. I'm so into it, I don't even own it. I don't even own it anymore. I've owned it so many times and I've given it to so many people. I got to a point with uh, For Whom the Bell Tolls that I was in New Zealand in a rare bookstore, bookstore and we found a 1941 copy of it and it was published uh. in 1940. And um, I couldn't afford it at the time, but my girlfriend went back to New Zealand because her, her mum lives there. And she picked it up for my birthday the next year. And it's purely because I have this like precious copy that I can finally own it because I kept giving yeah. it away. <laughs> uh, I understand that. <laughs> yeah. um, so speaking of Haunting of Hill House, if it were to be a sandwich, what would you turn your favorite book to? So 
the way a delicious word sandwich works, but feel free to put your own spin on it, is usually we have a bread that signifies the author, a meat or meat substitute to signify the plot, like the bulk of the book. Then the cheese is the characters, uh, the sauce is the themes, okay. and then seasoning and salad, final flourish. And you're like, oh, I just think because of the setting, this fits. All right. So the bread is the author. And yeah. we're talking about my favorite book, Haunting yeah. of Hill House. Okay. So the bread is obviously Shirley Jackson. Mm-hmm. And it is a, a good sturdy white bread, like a hearty white bread that might have like made with oatmeal or oh, extra nice. protein because she is sturdy and smart and hearty. And dense. so that's and dense, but not dense like dense stupid. That's what that means in America. Yeah, yeah, but like like she yeah substance yeah so uh shirley jackson is a a hearty white bread or in like an oatmeal wheat bread i don't want to put off people who are anti-wheat bread i love it all right (laughs) (laughs) all right so the next thing is what was your next thing the the um the next one is meat or meat substitute so yes and that's the characters uh the plot so like the oh the plot so um So I will go with meat substitute because I am a vegetarian and to simplify, simplify the plot of Haunting of Hill House, I would say a a young girl named Eleanor who has been repressed for her entire life is finally allowed to break free and discover and lean into her own madness. Mm. She finds this and her soulmate in a possibly haunted house. That's the easy way to describe that plot. I'm pretty sold. It's the like actual sold. plot. Usually people say, oh, a mad scientist brings a bunch of psychics to a house and they just find out if it's haunted. But that's not the actual story. Yeah. And it's not his story. It's Eleanor's. Right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It, Eleanor is, she's the story. She and the house are the story. Ah, All right. So that was meat substitute. Eleanor going to the house. What is our next thing? Well, what, what, what would you kind of categorize... Eleanor going to the house as in terms of a, an ingredient? Oh, I would, I would say that she is, I would say she's meat substitute. She's a black bean burger because she thinks she's meat, hmm. yeah. but she's, but she doesn't know exactly what she is. She's actually kind of tofu and beans, but she doesn't know that she's been told her whole life. She's meat, but she doesn't feel like she's meat. She feels like she's something else. So she is actually like a vegan burger that you buy at a grocery store in the frozen food section, but she doesn't know that that's okay to be. Yeah, I love that. I also love uh, <laughs> vegan like burger patties. That's usually what I get from the frozen food. I'm like, and that is also what I enjoy. <laughs> so we're, we're making a pretty delicious word sandwich already. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm getting hungry and it's very late for me. <laughs> I've been eating late all the time and it's been giving me some wacky dreams. Oh, it does. <laughs> Which I enjoy, so I keep doing it and I should. <laughs> <laughs> You're just going to be like putting like um, chili powder on your tongue and some chipotle mayonnaise, just like like drinking it before bed. <laughs> all right, let's go like for a Like a junkie. <laughs> yeah. All right, so uh, we've had our meat substitute. What's our next ingredient? Cheese. Cheese. Oh my gosh. So cheese is the, and how did you describe the cheese? Uh, the characters. So if you were to turn, so we've kind of turned Eleanor into the meat substitute because she is the story. So what, um, so what would you put the house as if you're going to turn the house into a cheese? 
Oh, the house is a cheese. Okay. Um, all right, I'm gonna go bold and say, the house is a Swiss cheese because it has a lot of holes in it that you don't understand what is on the other side of. I love it. That's good. Yeah, I was gonna do something spicier and then I'm like, no, it's Swiss. It's, you can almost see through it. Yeah. You could reach through it, but you don't know what's on the other side. Is it more meat? Is it just mayonnaise? Is it tofu? Know. Is it a ghost? <laughs> ah! Okay, we cannot put a ghost on the sandwich. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so, okay, the house is Swiss cheese. Yes, and then we're on to sauce. So, you know, the source of all things, pun definitely intended. So, so this is the themes. Like, how would you do kind of summarize? This is the one I find hardest when I'm making other sandwiches. Okay. Oh, gosh. Okay, so if the sauce is a theme, I would say... It is the past haunting the present, both Eleanor's past and the house's past haunting the present. So that would have to be something that would linger for a long time, like give you heartburn. Mm -hmm. So maybe a, a horseradish or like a, a like a chipotle ketchup. I love it. I'm going to go with yeah. horseradish because it's fun horseradish. to say. <laughs> it's fun to say or Worcestershire sauce. Oh, but good. I would say <laughs> horseradish. Um, yeah, because it, it lingers. Mm -hmm. You don't exactly know what you're getting when you get into it. So that is Eleanor's mental illness as a child. Also, the house's terrible history. Y you see it. It's a beautiful house. You don't know what you're getting into. And then you taste it, and it, it it's bad forever. <laughs> <laughs> and it's hashtag horseradish. <laughs> hashtag horseradish. <laughs> I'm sorry, horseradish people. I'm not trying to insult you. <laughs> I am not sorry. <laughs> no! Oh, scandalous! Scandalous! This is how old Maddie rolls. All right. You are. You're making this tricky for me. We're, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and this is the warm up to your great story coming up. I know. Okay. Gosh, I feel like I'm going to say the same answers. All Mayonnaise. Right. <laughs> I find I do that literally all the time, episode to episode. It's like the same cheese from last time. <laughs> <laughs> like really, I just described my favorite sandwich. So my favorite sandwich and my favorite book. Same thing. Yep. There we go. All right, and the coup de gras, final thoughts, uh, seasoning and salad. So any kind of, what do you think, a combination of what do you think would make the sandwich better and what do you think kind of finishes off wrapping up the book in a, as a sandwich? Okay, uh, well, I'm going to go full-blown seasoning, more lesbian overtones. Mm -hmm. I'm always for that in any book. And there was a little bit of that in Haunting of Hill House. Uh, because there is uh, a character that they insinuate might be interested in women. They don't say that mm, you, because they'd, they'd get banned that would be did. improper. Yeah. It would get banned. Uh, so she and Eleanor have a little bit of a connection. Again, there's a quote on my arm about that. Uh, so I would say that's the seasoning that we could have had a little bit more of that, a yeah. sprinkle more. There's, a, there's always a need for a sprinkle more lesbianism I in any agree. book. Um, in the Count of Monte Cristo, there's this wonderful subplot that's implied lesbianism. And it, you just want more of it because it's such a beautiful rep relationship that they're implying. But 
it, he just can't get into more detail with it. <laughs> no, no, because it was written in like, you know, a billion years ago. All right. So, um, so seasoning and what was the other, the other one? I'm uh, sorry. Oh, no, don't be sorry. This is a very niche and... I know. I'm like, oh, what's the sandwich? <laughs> the cutting edge of literary and culinary analysis. Um, um, I love this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so how would you describe more lesbian overtones as a seasoning? <laughs> as a seasoning? Um, I would say... Oh, see, I'm really giving it good thought. I weirdly, it's going to sound so gross to say, but a little bit love like an egg salad with paprika on it. I love it. Egg salad. With, <laughs> yeah. I'm right. The sandwich <laughs> now sounds gross, but I feel like that is what it is explaining what I want from Shirley Jackson. Well, my favorite thing about this ridiculous concept that I came up with from a meme. <laughs> is, Memes uh, are saving all of us. That they are. Uh, is that. Most of these um, like classic literary books turned into sandwiches. They're so experimental, and most of them probably don't work. But I'm just no. I feel like I'm I'm saying like, oh, it's a vegan burger with horseradish and egg salad. <laughs> like that makes me want to throw up. <laughs> but you know, they're combinations that you think about from like such a backward route through like themes and characters that you come up with a sandwich that even the best chefs in the world probably don't come up with and there's we're hanging on for the one that works <laughs> i know it'll work i feel like this is a netflix cooking show <laughs> slash book show mm. in the making that's what i'm you hanging get your, on for <laughs> your, your best literary critics and your best sandwich chefs of all of europe and they get together and they say it just doesn't taste like old man of the sea to me <laughs> They're like, well if, well, if we do what you're saying, it's going to taste horrible, but it will taste like an old man of the sea. <laughs> it would. I know. I feel like my sandwich sounds disgusting, but it would taste like a haunting of a hill house. That's it. And madness. It would, would taste like that. And that's what it's all about. <laughs> but All right. Do, do I have one more ingredient or am I done? No, you're done. That was amazing. Like, I can't believe that how... was a good sandwich. Yeah. On your feet as well. Like you just put that together so crisply. Uh, in the... <laughs> Like, like lettuce, like unwilted lettuce. Exactly. Like unwilted <laughs> lettuce. Like, um, in the. Almost like I'm a writer. <laughs> Almost. Speaking Almost. of. Almost. Cheeky little plug. And speaking of, <laughs> now let us stop discussing other people's triumphs. We're writers. We want to talk about ourselves. <laughs> what have you been working on? So uh, uh, back in February, I published my first novel, which was a, a gothic horror novel called Beautiful, Frightening, and Silent. So that came out at the very tail end of February. And then where I live, the world shut down two weeks later. Mm -hmm. So I had a, a very grand, my book is out, and then a very subdued, oh, now we just live in our houses. Oh, so, uh, <laughs> now we're in our houses with time to read yeah. said book. I know, it's <laughs> true. Uh, so, uh, so I published my first novel then. Uh, I also published a coffee table book of my artwork a few weeks ago at the end of April. I'm looking at the calendar now. So two weeks ago at the end of April, I published a coffee table book of my artwork. Uh, but I think mainly the sandwich of this all is my novel, Beautiful, Frightening, and Silent. That's very, very exciting. <laughs> now we get to do a fun thing in which we turn you 
Yes, you, Jennifer Gordon, into bread. Into a, I'm bread. You're going to be, yeah, you're okay. the bread of this book. Oh, yeah, I am. You're I'm the, the author. Bread. I am the bread. So when did you start working on this idea? So I, I came up with the, the idea of it, the concept of it, probably 20 years ago, when maybe not quite 20 years ago, but I was in school for theater. And I thought, I kind of came up with this root idea of an old man, a ghost, and a younger man. And I thought, that would make a great play. Oh, nice. But it didn't. It didn't. Because <laughs> I tried to write it out, and there was no way with my limited budget of no money to produce a play that looked the way I, I saw the story in my head. Yeah. So that was, you know, maybe 15, 20 years ago. Then I, I, I came back to it about 10 years ago and thought I'm going to do a graphic novel because I was involved in the comic industry on a fringe level. And I thought this would make a great graphic novel because I really wanted it to be very visual and I never found the right artist for it. So again, that's all fine. Uh, cut to a year ago, I was writing the book I'm currently writing right now, I was one chapter in and thought, I can't do this. It's too hard. Mm -hmm. It's too much for an exercise. Let me just do this other story that I've always had in my head. Maybe it'll be a short story. Maybe it'll be a novella. And it just took off. The characters got a life of their own. <laughs> they started doing things I wasn't expecting them to do, even though yeah. I was typing them. That kind of thing. I love when yeah. you have like a plot plan and then you've developed the characters in a way where you get to the point where like a thing was meant to happen and then just like, they wouldn't do that. So exactly that happened. I was writing and I, I'm not even going to talk about like what happened, but I was typing it and I literally stopped and I screamed, I can't believe Adam did that. And Adam's my main character. And I was like, that's the wrong many swear words choice. <laughs> and I went and I told my fiance Roman and I said, Adam just did the dumbest thing he could have done. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, you wrote him to do that. And I said, uh, I didn't want him to do it though, but he did. Yeah. That's like what he just, would do. <laughs> he had to do it. And I see that now that the book's done, he had to make that terrible decision that mm -hmm. I never intended him to make. Ah, uh, I find those are the most exciting parts of writing. Where... <laughs> I was so upset with him too, like my imaginary character that I made. I was like, how dare you? Dumb, dumb choice. Absolutely. Like one of the reasons why I like to write is I like, I, I like to write stories that I would enjoy. And I yes. feel when you're doing that, you're kind of robbing yourself of a story that you would love. But there's those moments where you get to enjoy it as a reader and get to be surprised by their decisions and just go along with the ride for a little bit. Yeah. And it was great because I had beta readers like reading it as I was writing it. Like I would write a big chunk and send it to them. And in one day I got like four or five emails all saying the same thing. I can't believe Adam did that. So that's the wrong choice. And I went, I know. You hate but to see it. <laughs> I, yeah. I'm like, I didn't want him to do it. I know. But the fact that it resonated with people that were reading it made me say, okay, he made the wrong choice. If he was a human actual person in the world, yeah. that was definitely the wrong choice. But as a, a, a character in a book, he made the only choice he could. Absolutely. And it's where the story had to go. So it had to. I guess you've already answered the question, but why did you write it? If you could summarize like what, like about the story. Uh, so 
I think you said the words. I wrote a book that I wanted to read. Hmm. I, for whatever reason, I had this idea in my head that I wanted to write a, a gothic novel set in contemporary times that involved a ghost, the man who murdered her 60 years ago, and, and a younger man seeking redemption and forgiveness hmm. that was not related to them. And what would happen if those three kind of collided in a haunted house in Maine? And then I thought, what would happen if half the book was written in poetry? And I thought, let's try, let's try it. So I had my ghost only speak in poetry for the majority of the book because she's kind of on the peripheral. Mm-hmm. That's fascinating. That you'd have a <laughs> I think it made a lot of people read it and tell me, you should probably go to see a therapist. You have, <laughs> you have some unresolved grief issues. So you did get in my head. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm like, haha, so you finished it. <laughs> you fool, you played into my hand. It's <laughs> <laughs> exactly what I wanted. <laughs> and they're like, that's great. But still. Great, but really, still, you should probably see a doctor. <laughs> Maybe Prozac. <laughs> nah, you need it for your next book. <laughs> uh. <laughs> so how did you go about the process of writing this book? Um, so as I, I kind of hinted on, I was, I was trying to work on another novel, the novel I'm deeply involved in right now, which is a historical fiction, Victorian feminist mm. thing. Uh, also horror. And I was deeply involved in research and being bogged down about what is it like to live in 1870 in New England? What are the shoes? Yeah. What do you wear? What is the weather? What does your house look like? Uh, so I was bogged down in that. And I, I decided really just to, to kind of almost freeform start writing this beautiful, frightening and silent, where I did stream of consciousness which is why the poetry stuff worked because I started right away with how the story looked from the outsider's point of view, the ghost, the, the woman who died 60 years ago. What does her life, quote unquote, life, unlife look like? Because she's been literally haunting the man who murdered her for 60 years. Yeah. What is that emotion? So I just started kind of expressing that through poetry and free form writing and, uh, and then it went from there. So, and, and, and it's a three character, it's bread, cheese, bread yeah. <laughs> story. And uh, so I just, I really fell in love with each character. And every time I switched points of view and went to one character, I was really kind of aching to get back to another one. What I really like about that, it really relishes ex- experimentation which is so important in this genre of surrealism and horror. It is. So I've had... Um, it, I don't want to say my book's not an easy read because it's, it's, a, it's a fast read, but if you don't, it is a gothic read. I'll just say that. Yeah. So it's, it's slower. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of symbolism. There's a lot of metaphor. There's a lot of repeating themes. But when you get to certain points, you go, oh my gosh, how did I not see that happening? And uh, the language is... I mean, I don't want to say, I hate to say it about myself, but the language is beautiful. It's not a stereotypical horror read. So it's not like a Stephen King, though I love Stephen King. It's not a fast paced thing. It's a slow burn, like you're you're walking through hallways of a abandoned orphanage. 
Yeah. So it's a very <laughs> contemplative thematic kind of book. It's very contemplative. So I keep saying, you know, it's gothic horror and people say, oh, I don't like horror. I don't like gross things. And I'm like, it's not gore, it's grief. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's horrifying, but it's not disgusting. It's it's yeah. sad and it's beautiful if it if you let it be beautiful. And what I love about that particular genre is how it bends my mind and how I kind of learn more about myself because of like the way my mind kind of traveled because of the book that I haven't traveled before. Yes. Yeah. So that's that's why I like it. If you haven't, I don't want to sidetrack us, but if you've not read The Little Stranger by Sarah Waters. I have not. Uh, it's it's very beautiful, contemporary. I mean, it's written about the Victor, Vic, in the Victorian age, but it was recently written. Little Stranger, they made a movie of it. The movie was great. The book's a million times better. Usually Some people way. say nothing happened in the book, but no. Well, they really if you want your mind to go on a journey, read that book. It's so beautiful. <laughs> yeah, I dig that. Um, it's, I think, I feel like when, like there are slow books, but, and where like little happens, but then there's this like the slow burn books where yes. there's, you know, reading it, but not understanding it. And then there's like relishing it and just kind of contemplating it. And like for him, the bell tolls is a good example where a lot of it, um, not much happens like in terms of plot action plot yeah but there's like so much plot character. we can air quote plot yeah. again but there's so much character interaction and thematic kind of progression that if you just sit and just experience it like most slow burn bo- books demand it just opens up so much to you yeah yeah so that's that's really what um my book beautiful frightening and silent it was to me like i i wrote it the plot, there is a plot. I don't want people to think there isn't one, but it's very much a, a story of three characters. Mm. And, and it's, it's about their lives, what they're feeling, what they're experiencing, where they, again, teeter on that fine line between madness yeah. and maybe it's a ghost, maybe it's schizophrenia, maybe it's because I was traumatized as a child, maybe, maybe it's a ghost, I don't know. So I've had... A lot of good reactions to it. I have had a couple like, you know, bad reviews, like this is slow, nothing happened. And I'm like, eh. Well, I find there's <laughs> bad reviews, but there's also bad reviews when they didn't get what you were, what the book was. And it's like, that's, that's your loss. <laughs> yeah. 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 So um, my book's not for everybody. It is slower. Mm. It is definitely uh, a lot happens, but it's a lot of emotional things happening inside people's heads. Not a lot of, there's no fisticuffs. There's not a ton of dialogue, but there's a lot of internal dialogue. I like how this, because I think the best plots are the ones that are about characters and it's not plot, 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 like fisticuffs and roller. Like I enjoy a good swashbuckling adventure, but. So do I. I mean, I, I love a good book that I just can't, you know, put down because so much is happening. Indeed. But. I also like books where I just fall so deeply in love with the characters that I just, I, I, I I hate to have the book finish because I love them so much and I'm so sad for them or I love, you know, whatever it is. I just. Yeah. And I think going on to my next question would be what I've, what I've, what I like the sound of is you've gone from a story that was originally a play 
and then you've kind of made the jump to novel and you've taken the best things about a play, which is a character kind of emotion and interaction, and you've adapted that to the novel by making it all internal and emotive and kind of contemplative. Yes. So that's why when I said before, like, oh, it's not going to work as a play, it could work as a play, but you would have to have, you know, really three dynamite actors, which Mm. I'm not saying isn't possible because I went to school for theater and I know a bunch of amazing people, but so much of it was internal. Like it would work better as a film than a play, just so you could get closer to their faces. So you could see kind of the the terror and the sadness in their eyes Mm. over their own history, over what they, they think might happen, but might not happen. Yeah. It, it, it's very subtle. It's a, it's a very nuanced it's kind a, of. St- yeah, it's a very nuanced book. That's exciting. Uh, it, yeah, I mean, I'm very proud of it. I, I'm still, you know, I'm writing another book, but I still think of my 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 three main characters from Beautiful, Frightening, and Silent, and I tell people, I'm like Adam. He was my main character. He broke my heart. You know, he made all the wrong decisions. I was writing him. He broke my heart. Damn it, Adam. Damn it. <laughs> so you know, I mean they all broke my heart. Even mm. the villain broke my heart. But uh, that's a, that sounds like a good villain that you can kind of relate <laughs> to. It's not just a mustache. You know, right? uh again, when I had beta readers reading it, they said, I hate him, but I really feel bad for him. He's a monster, but I kind of get where he's coming from. And mm. I'm like, ooh, ah, I think I did it. <laughs> ooh, that's that's I know I'm like, ouch, I didn't want you to like him, but I'm glad you did (laughs) because I've had people come up and say, oh, Anthony, he's the villain. He's my favorite. He's my favorite character. And I say he's a sociopath. (laughs) But a cool sociopath. (laughs) (laughs) He's 82, so it's hard to hate him. (laughs) Um, So if you were to cast, have your dream cast for your movie (gasps) of this book, who would you cast as your three main characters? Oh my gosh. Um, I will have to look up the name of the actress for my ghost. Uh, so my main character, his name is Adam. And I will very sadly say that he would be cast by Adam Driver. But the Adam Driver who was in the movie Silence, so very skinny, mm-hmm. very bony, you worry about his pancreas and his liver. That Adam Driver, not hot Star Wars Adam Driver. Okay. Well, the good news is I like both Adam Drivers. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all have Adam Driver fever right now. So my my villain, my Anthony, who is a, an older gentleman, uh, I would like him to be played by Brian Cox. And what has Brian Cox appeared in again? I know the name. He was in um, the movie and in, in the TV show Succession. He was also in The Born Identity as like the big bad older gray-haired gentleman who was involved in the weird government thing i've seen Mm -hmm. the born identity a million times i still don't understand the plot it's just like cars driving through england and matt damon punching everybody in the face and it works and it worked all right let me figure out um i have this actress in mind actually to play my ghost i don't want to say her name because she doesn't name herself until halfway through the book and she's not a very well-known actress but she would be Perfect. It is an actress named Victoria Pedretti. 
She was actually in the Haunting of Hill House TV series and also in the television series You. So she knows what the she'll she'll click with the books kind. Of she would style. get it. She yeah, get she it. can do like crazy dead, crazy dead. That's what. But she's perfect. She's a she's got a great face, very expressive, really strong like cheekbones. Oh, sounds like a powerful like, poster already. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and, and a lot of times in, in the book, in my book, Beautiful, Frightening and Silent, they refer to her as looking like a pre-Raphaelite painting. Mm -hmm. So they always say she looks like the Lady of Shalott, uh, the Tennyson poem and the, the, the Waterhouse painting. She looks like that. So like long kind of reddish hair. That's fantastic. It'd be, uh, it'd be cool strong bone structure. It'd be cool if they did her as a painting on like the poster. And it's uh, kind of ethereal. Yeah, can you can you get? I'm like, do you have sway? Can you tell people to? Well, when this show is inevitably picked up by Netflix for culinary and literary experts, they'll hear this, and, they'll like, oh, <laughs> and they'll go, right. "Oh gosh, that's right, that's a beautiful cast." <laughs> and then we'll both be executive producers, yeah, and then making money. Got that cheddar? Speaking of cheddar, <laughs> no. <laughs> I know. Speaking of cheese. <laughs> Well, before we move on to cheese, if you were to turn yourself from all this background for this wonderful story into a bread, what bread would you be? For me, I'm the bread as an yeah. author, mm -hmm. or it's a whole. Well, you oh. slash like the background for this book. Oh, I would be a ciabatta bread because it is kind of like very pale and a little bit like floury on the outside mm -hmm. and can appear flaky, but has substance. This is very informative for me. Uh, oh, well, that, that's what delicious word sandwich is all about. <laughs> Weird zany psychological breakthroughs. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that is who I've always been. I appear flaky, but I am not. I am bread. I am bread. <laughs> I am bread. I am good bread. All right, let's forge ahead onto meat or meat substitute. So we've already kind of covered very efficiently what this book is about. With this plot, was there anything you were trying to convey through structure or was it more sheer about more about sheer momentum for the story? Oh, um, no, it was very structured, actually. It's, it, 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 it's a story written in three parts. It's like kind of a Shakespearean setup. We have, you know, act one, all the characters are separate. Act mm -hmm. two, all the characters are together in the same place, but not maybe relating to each other. Act three, holy cow, everybody's like the walls are down, and ghosts and madness, old men and grief anxiety and all together. And they're just bouncing off each other. They're just... Yeah, it's so, uh, you know, I kept saying to people, they were like, it described this book. And I kept saying it's, you know, it's sure it's Sylvia Plath's The Bell Jar meets Haunting of Hill House. So it's a girl with her head in the oven in a haunted house, maybe, or. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's if, if I wasn't sold it sounds, before. It sounds terrible. <laughs> I, I love Sylvia Plath. So it's like, if I wasn't sold before. <laughs> <laughs> and I was. I, I'm writing to a distinct audience. <laughs> well, that's all right. This podcast is for an even more distinct audience. <laughs> Literary bread fiends. They're out there. 
somehow. I think there's <laughs> two of us right here. That's and it. if there's two, there has to be 10. That's right. And if there's 10, there must be hundreds. <laughs> and if there's hundreds, there must be thousands. And why aren't we rich yet? <laughs> Netflix, please get on this. Netflix? Netflix, are you listening to me? Siri, I'm done talking to you on my phone. So before we crisply summarize this as a meat or meat substitute, would you mind just very quickly for the audience just saying succinctly, what is the story about? Like, how would you set it up? How would you pitch it? What's your elevator pitch? Oh, my elevator pitch. Gosh, it's been a while since I've had an elevator pitch it. It is Adam, a young teacher with alcoholism and survivor's guilt hears of a haunted island off the coast of Maine where he goes to find redemption or forgiveness from his dead son who is a four and a half year old who he feels responsible for his death. Once he's there he interacts with a elderly man and a spiteful ghost and they form a menage a grief where they all sort of bounce off each other and figure out where madness and forgiveness lie. Something in there. Yeah. Usually my elevator pitch, I try to do 10 words and I do the, it's bell jar meets blah, blah, blah. But I already said that. So. And, you know, I like to kind of, when I sell a story, not just, you know, do like the kind of poppy, like for the the cliff notes. Yeah. The cliff pitch. You want, it's like, what's, like sell it to me. Like, why should I emotionally want to like read this with the, every fiber of my soul? <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I know. Cool. I don't know if I did that, but maybe I did. <laughs> I reckon you did swell. So h- yeah. how would you turn that wonderful summation into a meat or a meat substitute? Okay. All right. Uh, meat, meat substitute, meat, meat substitute. This takes place in new England, which is mm-hmm. Northeastern new uh, United States. It's very, traditional so i would say this meat is baloney it is processed meat or meat substitute but it's definitely made of animal parts Mm -hmm. but all the bad parts of the animals that you don't think should go together like the ears and the nose and like probably the butt and they're all blended together and somehow again i'm a vegetarian Mm -hmm. but people say it tastes good so it's all the bad things blended together into a meat that is somehow appealing. Well, I would go a step further and say it's all the bad things processed, dealt with, and at the oh. end of it, something good's come out. Did you go to school for psychology as well? No, I'm just very pretentious. <laughs> <laughs> Was it a theater degree? A film degree, even worse. <laughs> was it really? Yeah. I went to school for acting. So oh, that's fantastic. Just really. My build, my, the film building was right across the street from the actor building. And I did one unit in acting and I got to know the actors really well. And I was like, these are my people. <laughs> these are my people. I just want to film them. I, uh, I studied photography for like a, almost a full year. And I was like, I'm going to be a photographer. And then I thought, uh, no, I just want to be an actor. I just want to do that. I just want to express myself. <laughs> I know. And, um, and, and I do love doing that. And I think mm. that actually makes for a better writer because you can, y- you do character development. Indeed. So we end up getting into those like 
we can write really well as characters because we've done all of this kind of pseudo pretentious stuff. Yeah. And <laughs> before. I, I think it's good because like, it's not essential to be an actor to, to be no. a writer, but it's, it's a good element to have because you go from just describing people and like putting them under a, a can't think of the thing that Sherlock Holmes used in magnifying glass. <laughs> magnifying glass. <laughs> yeah, uh, magnifying glass. You're embodying them as well as yeah. you write. And it also helps with dialogue because you read plays and you perform. And, yeah. And, yeah. And you sort of know how people talk until you start typing it and you're like, are these sentences? Is this how people talk? <laughs> Who is this person? <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's All right. So wonderful. yes, baloney, processed. You're right. You were very good with that. It's been processed and made good again. Oh, that's wonderful. All right. And... You said it. <laughs> oh, oh, thank you. Oh, you, you, you set me up and I, uh, I slammed it down. A, a, a cheeky literary alley-oop. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, that was good. I'm like, that was really good. Oh, thank Zeus we're recording. <laughs> 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 All right, jolly good. So, cheese. So we've already kind right. of got into who are these characters and you kind of touched on what kind of people are they, um, but anything more to elaborate on that? So what kind of people are uh, they? Are they based on real people or from experience? Or? Um, none of my main characters were based on, on real people per se. Some of my very fringe characters were very much based on real people. But, but my main characters, they were based on real experiences. Mm. I mean, I, I never murdered somebody, so not that one. But the, 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 the core of the story is, can you forgive yourself for something that you think you've done wrong? Should you be forgiven? And a lot of this does have to do with the grieving process. And I think grief is something everybody's gone through in one way or another. So... So that is the honesty and the like the real thing that kind of ties everything together is is that is the emotions. The people are fake around it, but the emotions are very much things that uh, I've dealt with in one way or another. Like yeah. Adam, he, you know, he's he's dealing with grief, his son and his wife. I've dealt with grief in my life. The ghost, uh, she was in an abusive relationship i've been in an abusive relationship so it wasn't me but there were things that it touched on so these people and would really come to life because you had felt what they were feeling and i have i have and i think even even my villain who is terrible in so so many ways but because we're seeing him at the very tail end of his life you see him in a much weakened state he's mm. sick he has dementia starting he has lung cancer so you start saying it's it, it's hard to hate somebody even though you know they're despicable when they're at a weakened state absolutely and i like that that ambiguity yeah and that kind of <laughs> making people reflect on you know because it's so easy just to say oh you're a villain and just kind of disregard them as people right and you're like forcing so, them by weakening them to reflect on them and who they are and even and even the character himself, he's he's terrible, and he knows he's terrible. Mm. He admits it. He admits it. Like in the first two pages of his dialogue, he's just like, "I'm a broken freaking monster." Mm. But you know, sometimes I'm still I still wish like my mom loved me more. Mm, yeah. <laughs> you know, like 
maybe, maybe if she had done that, I wouldn't have done this. Or maybe if I had allowed myself to, to love instead of hate, I, I wouldn't have, you know, been a terrible monster. Yeah, because those There's are the most second. fascinating antagonists, the ones that kind of realize that they've made all these choices for reasons that they thought were right, and they reach a point when it's like, I've made all of these wrong choices. Wrong and choices. I, and I have to deal yeah, with that. So, <laughs> so you know, my, my main villain, he's an old man. This isn't really a spoiler, because, again, it comes really early in the story. He remembers a moment when he was a child and he was holding a teacup and it was so fragile and he thought what if i break this That's so he broke it and 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 then after that it felt really good to break it and then when he's an old man he thinks what if i hadn't done that like what if i had just put the teacup on the counter and not broken something that was fragile and beautiful and and that's kind of his defining moment it comes early in the book but he reflects on it the entire time so that's that's his weirdly his turning point not like all the terrible things he did but it's the damn teacup yeah it was the seed that was planted that grew the rotten tree if i may (laughs) it's true like you 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 break something that shouldn't be broken Hmm. and you feel good about it what happens then yeah that's that's Incredibly powerful. I was reflecting on it this morning, the whole, the, the age old adage of write what you know and stuff, but so much what writing is about, it's not literally writing your actual experiences, it's writing feelings you've had and manifesting them as a story. That's beautiful. Yes, that's exactly true. Because so many people like, you know, you write a book, you write a story and they say, well, which one's you? <laughs> They're like, well, none of them, all of them. <laughs> Glad you you decide. <laughs> yeah. Some of them Glad you be- read it. Yeah. <laughs> so how would you summarize these uh, very complex characters as a single cheese, which is the thing I find the hardest? Oh, what is that weird cheese that I've never had? Is it like a pimento cheese where it has like pieces of olive in it? Is that a thing? I mean, that sounds fascinating. Uh, uh, I'm writing that down. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like sorry I'm like looking it up on my phone I feel like I have a memory of when I was a kid of seeing a cheese in a store that had like pieces of like an olive in it or something weird in it that I thought that does not belong I love that. and to to me that would be the cheese even though I've never eaten it pimento cheese pimento cheese it came up first it's a thing it's yeah pimento cheese write that down pimento cheese writing that down (laughs) (laughs) write it down i've never eaten it but that is exactly what these people are it's something that go you go oh that's cheese oh that shouldn't be in cheese (laughs) but But you buy it anyways Mm -hmm. and maybe it tastes good i'm I'm fascinated to think about how the pimento cheese bologna and (laughs) oh god it's disgusting oh is a genius. Or delicious Netflix. It's Netflix, listen to this. We're chefs. Oh, Netflix, this is why we need real chefs on the show. <laughs> <laughs> so they say you will poison everybody that hears this. If if sandwiches can be a war crime, we're gonna get we're gonna get to there. Gonna... <laughs> oh my gosh. You can't say that. Can you? Is that Siri? Can... We didn't say that. I can say anything. <laughs> it's podcasting, baby. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now we're on to sauce, the sauce of all things, a pun I will never apologize for. (laughs) 
All right, so I have a terrible ciabatta bread, a piece of bologna, a piece of pimento mm -hmm. cheese, and a sauce. And now we got to dig into your themes to find what's the story really about? Why were these themes you felt you needed to explore? Oh, all right. So my themes that I felt like I needed to explore was self-forgiveness and hope. And what happens when you feel those things have abandoned you, even though they have not. So if this is a sauce and you're looking for something you think has abandoned you, but it hasn't, then we have to look at one of those little um, like condiment packets that you get at a fast food place that doesn't have enough in it. So like a, just like a yellow mustard packet from like a McDonald's where you go, this is going to be enough because it's a packet and there's not enough and you just are left like kind of squeezing it out and going oh gosh I wish there was more I wish there was more I wish there was more mustard I wish I could forgive myself I wish it was that so my condiment my sauce is a fast food packet of yellow mustard that doesn't have enough in it I love it all right <laughs> that, I love I love the experience that the making the sandwich could be <laughs> <laughs> I just there has to be like a, a like a, a follow-up to this podcast it's like a zoom event where we have to make the sandwiches uh, and force that. somebody else to eat them that's it and then they have to guess what book it is <laughs> <laughs> what you could at least give them like three so we could give yeah. them haunting of hill house old man on the sea and my book and be like what is this bologna sandwich and, they'll be like, and you're like it's all of them <laughs> And then it's, like, it's a sandwich. Why would you turn books into sandwiches? Who are you? Why, why did you kidnap me? <laughs> <laughs> why am I here? Is this a TV show? Get the camera out of my face. Is that I think we're on to something. Yeah, I think Netflix needs to pick this up stat. All right. That's amazing. I love how efficient you've been. All right. And <laughs> on to the, the coup de gras, the seasoning and salad. So this is a final thoughts and discussion about this episode, uh, your book, what you think kind of finally kind of if you put it on the sandwich it's like this makes it clear kind of what <laughs> <laughs> a page from your oh, book this perhaps. makes <laughs> this makes I know, um, like literally you just put, put the book over the sandwich <laughs> and hide the sandwich <laughs> can that be can that be the salad no um <laughs> no um okay i'm gonna really try hard mm. with the salad um the sandwich is so gross that i would like the salad to be next to the gross sandwich but maybe not on it that's fine yeah that's okay all right then i will say a lukewarm pasta salad that you eat at a picnic or barbecue that you are eating at the very end of the barbecue and you think has this gone bad i think it's still fine and so you eat it and it, it tastes fine but you know something's not quite right Mm -hmm. And if you read my book, you'll understand why I'm saying this for my salad. I love it. But, okay. But, okay. <laughs> Do you understand that salad is? You got to read Jennifer Gordon's book. <laughs> <laughs> I know. They're like, I don't think I want to eat lukewarm salad. No, you do. It's good. It's you good do. for you. And you want to know why. You want to know why. So read Beautiful, Frightening, and Silent by Jennifer Gordon Kiotis. Yes, and it is available on Amazon uh, all over the world. So for immediate download on Kindle and a free on Kindle Unlimited, if you happen, 
if you have Kindle Unlimited. Oh, that's fantastic. All right, thank also you. available for paperback, but. <laughs> I love a good paperback personally. We all do, because then we can underline things. Oh, I never, I never, I never modify them. No, you got to keep them mint. Oh, you're one of those. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm one of those people that if I lend a book, I'm like, I expect not a scratch. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, yes, I, I was like that for many years. And I'm like, did you curl the cover? Like, why is there water damage now? And there's like the wrinkles in the spine, purely from them just <gasps> reading it like a person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you're like, what is this? What is this? <laughs> so I, 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 was, I worked in the comic book industry for a little while. So I became completely obsessive about like corners of paper mm -hmm. and creases and things. And I'm just like, if I give you this book, it has to come back the same way. Mm -hmm. And it never did. So then I just started loaning books out and then just buying myself a new copy because I understood in my heart that it would just come back wrong, which is also kind of a plot of my book when yeah. things come back wrong. <laughs> oh, beautiful. Just everything cycling back. We're so good at this. We're <laughs> good at that. <laughs> well, Jennifer, I think that about wraps it up. And we have a delicious word sandwich of chipotle bread, uh, bologna, pimento cheese, <laughs> a fast food mustard packet that will not have enough, and lukewarm potato salad that might not be quite right or might be, <laughs> not be quite wrong. You don't know. And that is this delicious word sandwich of beautiful, frightening, and silent by Jennifer Gordon. Thank you so much for being my first ever guest on Delicious Word Sandwich, Jennifer. Oh my gosh. Thank you for everyone who's listened. This has been an absolute delight, and see you next time, Kiotis. This episode was supported by Breaking Rules Publishing. Breaking Rules Publishing is currently accepting submissions in all genres, including for their four magazine lines, Horror Magazine The Scribe, Triangle Writers, and the soon-to-be-released Someday Magazine. They also have several short story anthologies, such as The Hollow, Where All Evil Lies, and the upcoming Wedding Anthology. For more information, visit BreakingRulesPublishing.com, as well as their podcast, Writer Someday to Author Today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.